Joshua Keon Allenpour took his first and last piano lesson when he was 16. It was 2017. He was in the basement of a building in Sinan, a city in eastern China, where he and his family had moved from New Jersey six years earlier, when he was 10. Like all the other students are like waiting behind you while your class is happening. So there's like that the element of pressure. And it, it was also kind of embarrassing because, you know, I was 16 and everyone else was like half my age. <laughs> so I'm like, oh God, I better <laughs> like not mess up. But of course I did. Joshua didn't even want to learn piano, but his parents really wanted him to. So he went to make them happy. When it was his turn, he walked up, sat down, and the teacher asked him to sight-read a piece of music. But he didn't know how. She brought up, like, this point that I didn't know how to read sheet music and was saying a bunch of things, like, you know, you'll never be able to do this and that. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to try and learn the piano without learning sheet music, which I thought was, like, the best revenge idea ever at the time. So we went home, pulled out a little 61-key keyboard that his father had bought for $16, and set out to learn to play on his own. Joshua was homeschooled, so he had a lot of time during the day to practice. So I set aside an average about six hours a day. And um, there's like these little videos on YouTube. They're they're called Synthesia videos or MIDI videos, where basically it shows like this this piano keyboard and then has like these little lasers going down. So then you see how like a piece of music is played instead of reading traditional music notation. After two weeks, Joshua accidentally composed his first piece, a three-minute bagatelle called Reverie. I would just like play for like hours on end, and I'd forget that I'm in Sinan, and I'm like, oh, I'm in like, uh, you know, 18th century Paris or something, (laughs) as corny as that sounds. Four years later, at age 20, Joshua is a second-year music student at UC Berkeley. He has performed his work at Lincoln Center, written a symphony, and composed a score for a feature-length film. He teaches music to students around the world. He performs a new piece for TikTok every day, all while taking at least 26 credits each semester so that he can graduate this May, two years early. This is Berkeley Voices. I'm Ann Bryce. What do you like to play the most? Like, what what do you just like automatically sit down and just like play when you're not thinking about anything? You're just like just going. I like improvising waltzes a lot of times. Waltzes are, are, are pretty fun. Like when the left hand is doing something like this. The right hand just like does whatever it wants. Like it's it's very like I don't know what's gonna happen. It just it's very flowing a lot of times. We're in a practice room in Morrison Hall on campus. Well, Joshua is. I'm on a computer screen watching. This one. Assume a little star. He's playing a Steinway Baby Grand, a piano he loves. The whole concept of a practice room is so so new to me. The first day when I when I got my card and they you know 
got an access so I can open up these practice rooms, I felt like a kid in the candy shop. I was like, oh, there's like a Yamaha in this one. There's a Steinway in this one. There's like a Young Chang in this one. I was like, oh my God, there's so many. Since Joshua started at Berkeley in 2020, he has taken several classes with Robert Yamasato, a lecturer in music theory and musicianship. The two of them share an unusual musical background. I, like Joshua, was pretty much self-taught. I started composing before I took formal lessons, and I began relatively late in life. Uh, My first formal lesson was at age 15 uh, on piano, and I just loved it so much. Yamasato grew up on the big island in Hawaii, in a town of 8,000, surrounded by cows and the beach. He went to a small private school that didn't have an extensive music program. I think I heard maybe classical music earlier on, but I didn't really gravitate towards that until middle school. Um, And then I asked my mom if we could get a tape. We had tapes back then, of course, a tape of uh, a few Beethoven piano sonatas. And then I just started to kind of improvise on my own. Yamasato received his PhD in music composition from Berkeley in 2012. He has been teaching in the music department for 17 years, first as a graduate student and then as a lecturer. He's taught Joshua in four classes, composition, counterpoint, harmony, and musicianship. He says Joshua, like many composers, is a free spirit. He's moving to the beat of his own drum, uh, uh, which is great and which ultimately, I think, in some respects, composition and academia is not the perfect marriage because academia requires a certain degree of rigor and order and sequence. And sometimes for composition, you have to be more whimsical and you have to follow new avenues wherever they take you. When you're teaching students and you say that people draw inspiration from all different things and they're creative in all different ways. What What is your kind of guiding philosophy when you're teaching composition? Yeah, so when it's composition, specifically composition, I'm really trying to make them understand how to achieve what they want to achieve. It's really about them and not about any other external material that I may be imposing on them. Now, I, I just want to clarify, not all composition teachers think about composition this way. But for me, we have students composing all different types of styles and genres. They have to find what they want to write. And that may seem like the easiest thing in the world, but it's actually the most difficult thing in the world to find out who you are as a composer. And that's a lifelong process, just finding who you are, what makes you you, what makes the music that you're producing Joshua. (laughs) And and that's very difficult. And that's uh, something that we just try to strive for. Yamasato says that there's this romantic idea of an individual artist isolating in a cabin in the woods and producing work. But he says it's not necessarily how the most creative music is made. I think most people would now feel that collaboration is very important, not only to exchange ideas, but actually to work on a project together, especially now that I think the definition of a composer is becoming extremely fluid 
And one reason for this is there are many composers' interests with interest in you know, film, theater, visual arts, um, computer science, psychology, politics, among many other fields. And sometimes they get into composition through that particular avenue. To what degree is somebody a composer or not? You know, that's kind of a hard question to answer. And it's probably not a very important question to answer it, in a sense. I think kind of our modern day of thinking about composition is probably more collaborative than it was in the past which I think is, is, is a great thing. And it kind of breaks down barriers between uh, different fields and also between different genres of music and between different cultures. Joshua and his family moved back to New Jersey in 2018 when Joshua was 17. It was about six months after he started composing his own music. His parents had originally moved their family to Sinan to open an Italian restaurant, but it hadn't done well, so they had to close it and figure something else out. For a few months in New Jersey, they didn't have a place to live, but Joshua couldn't stop composing. Music filled his mind. In motel rooms, Joshua would sit, hunched over his phone, using music apps to compose. One time, Joshua was on a high school field trip to the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. When his classmates broke off into little groups to explore the museum, Joshua headed straight for The Starry Night by Vincent Van Gogh. I just stared at it for like 40 minutes with nothing. And I saw everyone like come and go, kind of like a, a time lapse and how people would like get closer and, and farther and everything. And the entire time I was here, like different pieces of music play in my head. It was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I'm a huge Van Gogh fanboy. My entire family is. We named our dog Vincent. <laughs> but I just love his story. And I, I was like, this is amazing. This is so, so cool. Last semester, Joshua wrote his first symphony, Symphony Number no. 1 in G minor. In October, the UC Berkeley Symphony Orchestra performed a reading of the first movement. I've never heard like an actual orchestra play anything I've written before. So it was just a surreal experience, and I'm, I'm forever grateful for that night. I think something that's, that's a little bit misunderstood about composing is that you have to be some sort of genius to do it. You don't. <laughs> There's a lot of dirty tricks, but even like the more serious stuff, um, it's definitely very learnable. It's a really beautiful thing, and I think the more people that do it, uh, the better. Joshua just finished up a score for a full-length feature film. The director found Joshua on TikTok, where Joshua has been posting videos of himself playing a new work nearly every day since February. 
and he recently applied to graduate programs for film composition, to Juilliard, UCLA, among others. But he says he'll be happy to go to any school where he can do what he loves. He just can't imagine doing anything else. This is Berkeley Voices, a Berkeley News podcast. I'm Ann Bryce. This is the last episode of this season of Berkeley Voices. We'll be back with season two in January. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you listen. New episodes come out every other Friday. You can find all of our podcast episodes with transcripts and photos on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts. Thank you.